0: Shut up, and sit down. Hello, Jerry. <laughs> Hello, Newman. Head like this, coast like that. Break like this, stopping like that. Rollin', just rolling along. Rollin', just rolling along. Rolling down the street outside my front door You've pressed play on another illustrious episode of the Dialed Podcast with Matt Lee Grand, Evan Price, Lance Hepler, and Jake Von Turing. American author, Wilfred Arlen Peterson, once said, A person practices the art of adventure when they break the chain of routine and renews their life through reading new books, traveling to new places, making new friends, taking up new hobbies and adopting new viewpoints. So I ask, when was your last adventure? Rolling rollin', just rolling along Head like this, coast like that ring like this and turn it like that hey,
1: so how does it feel to be heckled all the time well you get used to it after a couple years of it all the time it's really good yeah so it's you're like a, a rainbow in a rainstorm feels good
0: Rolling, this is riding a bike roll it this is riding a bike
2: Cut your zip ties off, bro. Yeah, dude, that's not air at all, man. (laughs) You're wasting rot. Uh, Oh. I'm more disappointed than your mother. <laughs> I knew you were going to rock it when I saw your sunglasses on your helmet, you roadie. Hi, welcome back to the Dow Podcast. I am Jake Vondering, and I'm here with Lance Epler.
3: Lance, romance, right here in studio. I wrecked myself to try to get back. I didn't really wreck myself, but...
2: <laughs> but you're here. Here I am. Alive and sound. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, live. Cool. Yeah. Um, we don't have the other two guys, so guess what? We're no- missing both triathletes? No triathletes today. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Now, we love you, Matt. We love you, Evan. And we're going to talk about some other stuff today. It just doesn't involve triathlon, which is fantastic. And on that note, on um, the old, uh, it's not Skype. What are we going to call that? I don't know. I don't know. The interwebs, I guess. (laughs) 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 Mr. uh, Chris Surratt. How are you, Chris?
1: Hey, I'm great. Sorry, I don't, I didn't bring a Cool
3: tagline with me. But I'll
2: work on it. <laughs> we'll work on that. We'll get one for you before the do. It's ends, almost.
3: So. Uh, it's needed for this show if you want to hang with uh, Jake and I.
2: <laughs> and then uh, today we've got a special guest with us, Mr. Race Extraordinaire Promoter Guy, Mr. Mike Ripley. How are you, Mike?
0: Doing great, guys. How are you guys doing? This fine. Was it Monday?
3: It is so, Monday.
0: How? It's all, Monday all, all day long. Monday, yeah. All day long. <laughs> it's all so. Blur. Well, seven days a week. So, I mean, I don't know what day. What what do you do? (laughs) Right on.
2: Cool. Um, We're going to do a quick backpedal this week. And by quick, I mean quick. I can't. I don't know if
3: I can do that, Jake. Am I capable of doing that? I love to talk about myself. 30 seconds, Lance. Go. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I rode every day. This morning, I hit 200 days in a row. I don't know if that's uh, smart or stupid. It's probably a little bit of both. (laughs) <laughs> um so uh that that's about it i did have one really cool ride this last week where i rode through uh Zion national park that was part of really? yes thank you yeah. that was part of my uh, uh trek on the way home trying to beat the snowstorm to
2: get back to the northwest and i
3: did so um that's it hepler out
2: cool my backpedal real quick yeah i don't even need 30 seconds lance you run on Zwift every day Zwift seven <laughs> days ten hours That's, done that sucks it was terrible the Pacific Northwest this week for those that don't know or from outside of the area we got dumped on with snow and yeah, we got ice news. and all kinds of fun stuff so it pretty much kept all activities indoors yep. so yeah lots of Zwifting so um Chris and Mike do you guys care to backpedal did you guys do anything interesting this week or was it just like the both of us
1: seven days is whipped. Uh, i'm not even sure i remember
0: how to ride a bike outside <laughs>
2: how about you mike did you have a good week
0: yeah i mean I, i'm trying to you know build up some kind of whatever ripley form is i think i hit 3500 miles last year which was good for me but uh great no i'm gonna go ride 50 50 miles reportedly towards the mudslinger course from corvallis tomorrow morning oh oh wow so somebody's coaxed me out of my den so we'll see what happens.
2: What will be your weapon of choice on that ride? Mountain bike studded tires?
0: Commo- my yeah, my no, my my clutch. I got a Commotion um clutch, custom Ripley sized gravel bike uh-huh. uh, from Commotion Cycles and carbon where it counts and uh yeah, just um try to get some video and just uh, have fun exploring.
2: Awesome. Love it. Cool. Um I, I so the reason why we wanted to do this whole short backpedal thing is because i want to introduce our guests so uh we've talked about chris Surratt, what a hundred times plus uh, yeah like almost every episode he's kind of a
3: regular <laughs> training partner of mine um i've talked about him a lot because i super respect him and i love riding with me he makes me a better rider so we're super to have uh, the albany
2: animal yes yes chris <laughs> <laughs> tell us about yourself man i we could do a whole show on just you alone. Your journey to get to the status of where you're at is, like, you're the, the reigning bar champion, the best all-around rider, Category Correct. 3, all different disciplines yes. in the Oregon Bicycle Racing Association. Um, but just tell us a little bit about you. What what makes you tick, bud?
1: Sure. I, I'm just a guy that spends too much time on his bike. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I got into this bike racing thing. Well, I got into cycling, again, as kind of a means to lose some weight and get in shape um and i quickly figured out i was okay at it so i've been okay (laughs) doing this bike racing thing for i don't know five or six years now um i've been with dialed for three years and i'm just having a blast it's
2: awesome awesome. um yeah your husband you got a couple kids everybody's in, in your family rides now that's fantastic yep yeah Love it.
1: Yeah, I got uh, two kids, a 12 and a 13 year old. They, they're they riding, they ride on a Nike team. They do some Ober racing. I uh, just got my wife on the mountain bike uh, six months or so ago. Yeah,
2: and,
1: yeah <laughs> making it a family thing.
2: Awesome. Mr. Mike Ripley, you are pretty prolific here in the Pacific Northwest as a race promoter. You put on some of probably the best events. Bar none, right? Uh,
3: best mountain bike vents by far, and his gravel events are fantastic. Yeah, so we're yeah, he, we've been wanting to have Mike on for quite some time because uh, we respect him as a person and as a race promoter. So we're happy to have him here today.
2: Awesome. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Mike. How did how did you get into this whole race promotion thing? And tell us about what you're doing currently. Yeah, well, I moved.
0: Um, I grew up in Eugene, and I had my first mountain bike in 1989, a Trek 800, and I started riding mountain bikes, I played basketball a lot, so I weighed like 220 and um, was, you know, decent at basketball, a late bloomer, I think I was like, I looked like a Coke bottle as a freshman in high school, I was 190. <laughs> and literally, I shaped like a Coke bottle. And I wore husky clothing. And then I grew seven inches. So, um, yeah so that made life a little easier in a way because you know it's one thing you know to play basketball but when you have the appropriate height you can you can go for it so no i um, i grew up in eugene moved to corvallis and when i moved to corvallis i saw paul thomas berg he's still a shimano skunk um you know helped with joe murray and all the gang. you know shimano create all their um various incarnations from xt to pedals to everything and he was the reigning, or I think he was second in cross country in 91, and, or 90, with Greg Herbold and Ned Overend, and he sprayed me with gravel with his Toyota Disc Wheel at the Mudslinger when I wasn't putting it on in Corvallis. He came around the apex of a corner, literally. Howard through the corner with a Tioga Disc Wheel, and it made that crazy ass sound, going at 40 miles an hour, and I was hooked. And, and I, I, I was in Corvallis, and so, of course, me. Um, I was in the military, also. I was in the Air Force, so, and I managed restaurants. So that made made it, of course, appropriate for me to start the Corvallis Mountain Bike Club, and then take over the Mudslinger from Randy Pratt, who was a racer who raced for Raleigh and was a national uh, Norba uh, Masters champion, and still probably has records in Corvallis. Yeah. Um, you guys, you guys know from Oak Creek Gate to the first intersection climbing up towards um, Dimple Hill. Six minutes and 30 seconds. Six minutes and 30 seconds, Chris. <laughs>
2: okay, oh, to the I...
0: first new section. And uh, 2450 to the top, okay? So that's just some little past history records. Anyway, so uh, I put on the mudslinger from until 95 and then moved to Bend, uh, was working restaurants and trying to help people organize races, started, met up with CODA. Um, was made, building trails and I built trails uh, with OSU previous to that. So I kind of started passionately with trail access. That's my first love. Um, mountain biking was just kind of symbiotic to that. So moving forward, when I moved back to the area um, in the valley in 2000 and 2000, uh, the mudslinger didn't happen at PB Arboretum. So in 2001, I took it back and then formed a company in 2003. And from that point on, got involved with Obra, and just the story just kind of uh, went on and on. Went full-time in 2011, uh, kicked my restaurant job to watch my kids grow up and do the uh, self-employment gig, for better or for worse. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's been a labor of love um, for the most part. You know, um, you know, that's it's been great. I mean, I've still try to ride my bike a lot. I still try to get to an event without being accused of it being my event when I'm dressed in my kit. I find that to be kind of humorous. <laughs> uh, you know, the first person that ask me, it's probably will happen. I'm going to go down to Shasta gravel hugger. And somebody's going to go, so Mike, uh, you putting this on? I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no, leave me alone. Guilty by
2: association. <laughs> yep.
0: Guilty <laughs> by association. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Well, so cool. that's
0: a little short story. All right. Well,
2: we're going to dive into a lot more stuff. Um, Mike and his race promotion company, Mudslinger Events, will be our topic for the day. Um, but before we do that, uh, Lance, we got some Patreon news. Oh, yes, we got a couple new patrons. A couple a new co- patrons. yeah. We got uh, Austin Ailing, and we've got Kim Katherine. Both are new patrons oh, to fantastic. the show, and I am super stoked about that. So you know what that means. A new drawing. Yeah, let's do a drawing. Thank you, Austin and Kim. Yeah, for those that are watching on YouTube, we're live streaming this. You can actually kind of see we've got this neat little uh, hat here. I'm going to put it up on my thing. Um, From Aerolax. We've got a new deal with Aerolax, and they sent us a bunch of goodies to kind of put out there. And we've got that. And then we've got another uh, um, race bottle here from uh, Sierra Nevada. So that was kind of nice. Let's, uh, Let's shake up this whole thing here. And it's like, I think. 20-some-odd things with Rob Buck's name Did on it. Did you take Rob Buck's <laughs> name out of there? <laughs> you probably should. I don't know what the deal with that is. This guy wins every week. All right. Who, who do we got here? Read my chicken scratch? Chris Hitchcock. Chris Hitchcock. Nice. Nice. Congratulations, Chris. So Chris, you got yourself a new hat and a uh, sports bottle. Come on down and we will get that to you. Um, I miss seeing Chris. He's a good guy to talk to. He is a good dude. He's just like one of those all-around nice guys. He's a good guy. He's uh, just always there, always helping out. Love it. So um, if you're interested in becoming a patron, you can go to DowPodcast.com. And on that page, you will see a little link there for Patreon. Click on through and you can choose the Patreon that works best for you. Um, We greatly appreciate everybody who who is a show supporter, and uh, we'll keep doing this every single week. I've got a bunch of stuff, so I'm just going to keep doing drawings until we run out of goodies. I love it. And if anybody wants to give us some stuff to put in the queue, there, there you go. Yeah, by all means, bring that, bring that down, and we'll we'll throw it in there. I so, got a used handkerchief I could give to you, Jake. That's Al. a lot of DNA that we don't need, Lance, that's for sure. <laughs> awesome. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's jump into Chant some of this. Valley top five. I think he's in the top five discussion. I mean, I'm not just going to go out crazy. Hall and of say top Three. Hall of, Hall Hall of Famer. Fame. Champ Champ Bailey. By Champ Bailey. Champ Bailey, are you in the house?
3: Champ is in the house, but he's going to talk quick because he wants to talk to Mike Ripley about <laughs> other cool stuff. All right, a couple of big events did happen this last week. Uh, the Tour de la Provence, which is a five-four day stage race in France, um, that been ha- that happened. A lot of big hitters showed up for it because people want to test their legs. Um, and it was a fun race to watch. It was won by Ivan Sosa of Ineos Grandos. I did, I said that wrong. Uh, but <laughs> second place overall was Alaphilippe, Philippe, and third place was Egon Bernal. So, oh, wow, yeah, there was some big Ineos, hitters that showed up. Ineos yeah. looking strong. They, um, Sosa and Bernal kind of killed the Mont Ventoux stage. They like rode away from everybody, and Al Philippe, he like got in the break and mixed it up in the sprint like every stage. He was just like testing himself. So it's kind of fun to watch that World Championship jersey actually be in the mix. So that's what happened there. Um, The other news is uh, Peter Sagan is going to miss the first couple of classics. He was hoping to do all the classics this year, but uh, he tested positive for COVID. Oh wow. Good good on you, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> he's he's already he's already through it. They're just now announcing Oof. this. He's already his symptoms are already gone, but he lost a little bit of training and they've decided he's not gonna do the first uh, two big classics uh, Om Omloop and I think Kearns, Brussels Kearns or something like that. Uh, that's too so, bad. But Sagan's gonna sit out a couple of those. Other than that, that um, it? that's it i'm out
0: champ here i'm all about having fun you know get a couple of cocktails in me start a fire in someone's kitchen maybe go to SeaWorld, take my pants off
2: <laughs> thanks champ <laughs> uh you're welcome cool um that's it that's it let's jump into the show uh mike ripley i want to talk to you about mudslinger events and we've got a bunch of questions for you ready bud
0: Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) And and
2: Chris, too, if you've got some uh, questions yourself, feel free to chime in whenever you'd like. Lance, why don't you go ahead and hit him with the first one?
0: Uh, Let
3: me just say, um, I was super pleased that Mike Ripley is in our area because he was the only race promoter in our area that was able actually to pull off races last year. And I did... I don't know. I think I did almost all the races you did last year, except for Oregon twenty four because that's way too freaking long for me. I can't handle that. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I was just super. One po- last. <laughs> I was, like, I was like, super. Like, like, like
0: a, a team, a team for dialed cycling couldn't show up. Yeah, literally. that's a good point. <laughs> was there, there was a team there. I think there was. I mean, yeah, we, we had Eric, Eric cycling? Taft, Eric and, Taft,
2: and who went out there oh, with? Oh yeah, them? okay. I
3: don't remember I mean who else we was had there. a
0: junior team do 28 laps from a Nike junior team to 28 laps they are called Continuous Threat and they're coming back. Oh, wow. That's the record. Literally. Oh, I love these kids that. we had the we had the Ben Nike team do 24 laps and they averaged 13.4 years of age. Oh, Which is insane. That's wow. insane. So come on, dial. Well, okay, Lance. I, okay, well, if I could talk Seratin into doing it with me,
3: <laughs> I, I would actually do that. That would actually be fun. Do you have other
2: options besides I mean, twenty-four is hours? Is it just twenty-four hours? It's twelve. No, back.
0: there's a there's a twelve, but this year we're doing the Wembo. We're doing the World Endurance Mountain Bike Organization's um, America's Solo Twenty Four. So we got like thirty-five hundred dollars in cash on the line, and oh, wow. we have a few Ooh. Canadians. I'm hoping to get a few people from South America. Um, but, you know, it's going to be border dependent on that. But that that's kind of a cool, you know, thing that's not recognized by the UCI. And it's not 24-hour racing really isn't recognized right now by USA Cycling. So Wembo, they're in Australia. And they I've, I've competed in a few of their events over the course of history. And it's super, super cool. They got super Tight rules and really good vibe, and uh, Australia is the world championship. We're hopefully going to have an American get down to Australia, hopefully, this uh, winter, all things permitted.
3: So, Mike, last year was a giant wrench in the plans of uh, all racers and all race promoters. Um, How did you survive it? How were you able to pull off races when everybody else just bailed?
0: Yeah, I don't know if it was bail. I mean, some people are so big, some of the events like, you know, even Todd, like at Epic Rides, I mean, his footprint is such that it's hard for him to operate in a smaller capacity. You know, when you have somebody that's the sponsors are thinking it's going to be X and then it's Y, you know, for me, I've always been, you know, a smaller uh, 200 person event. So looking at it in this, you know, in the in the form of single serve and one way like retails open and uh restaurant you know with our single use water bottles and our disinfectant spray and all this it really just it was more of an emotional commitment towards keeping my business um afloat and looking at what opportunity means to me and so that was really it at the end of the day it was emotionally i think just as hard as it was physically to do because I do everything based upon creating expectations. And so those things were question marks as I was going into, you know, Mudslinger and then High Cascades that happened on its normal weekend. Yeah, And, you know, every city manager and all the county permits and the forest service, they were ridiculously cool and easy to work with. I mean, easy being the fact that I've been doing this for a long time, but really the risk of outdoor, you know, i was looking at it because it i get a little bit emotional about what you should do or shouldn't do those words are weird to me the word safe is strange to me um you know it's all relative because bike racing inherently or bike events are not generally safe you know you can overuse right. that word
2: amen yeah so
0: you know but now i pulled it off i mean I, we pulled it off and what was really kind of creepy about last year was i didn't i only think maybe i sent one person to the hospital with a post crash after the remote finish at High Cascade, somebody <laughs> stacked it on the the last double, and that happens on a remote. You you know you try to do what you can, but literally that means that everybody this year should be really watching their backs because if I didn't send any, that's never happened. I always send somebody for like post treatment, whether it's a stitch or something or something basic. So. Um, Beware everyone this year. <laughs>
3: it, it Was part of the reason you were able to make things happen is because your races happen in more rural areas. And so the county no, not, restrictions, no, no, it didn't have anything no. to do with that.
0: Not really. I mean, because, you know, we can operate under the guidelines that were set up by the OHA. I mean, I even had people at like Oregon Grand Fondos. One person was working with the OHA and developing guidelines and, People that were training dentists, they were giving me props on my protocols. And, and it was nice to hear the feedback and everybody overall, like 99.5% of the people were really cool. Um, so it was really more of a process of how do you handle people and stagger people and throttle them so you're not creating a hazard. That's really the key on all of this is just creating a minimal footprint, but then being really intentional and telling people we can't fix everything. Like we had some people at Stampede that didn't want to wear a mask, right? They, they just didn't believe in it. Okay. Well, I just brought their stuff out to them and pack a pickup. I don't care. Yeah. That's their deal. Yeah. You know, right. now I could get all uppity about it or something. Cause I believe in wearing a mask and we'll get through this thing one day at a time. But, you know, it's like, it's very, these things we get too hung up on. So I was just looking for the easiest form. And so I've created what I think is just kind of a base to work from, whether we get to wave starts or some counties, like I've heard you like Washington has very specific racing guidelines and rules. And if you guys haven't seen them, I can always share them with you offline. Um, you know, so just, there's just a way to do process.
2: Good. Chris, do you have any uh, questions for Mike?
1: Um, I, I mean, first off, Mike, you are the reason Oregon racing happened.
2: Yep. Um,
1: you know, without you, there would be a lot of us with, uh, too much fitness and
3: no nothing to days. do with it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so, I mean, this is obviously, you know, you're not going to get rich as a, as a race promoter in Oregon. So, I mean, what, what motivates you to keep doing this? Uh, you know, why do you Well, I mean, sacrifice I mean, your I time and your finances and.
0: Well, it's my job. I mean, this is my full time sure. gig. So making a living, I don't even, you know, people are trying to, qual- people are trying to put their, wrap their brains around what that even means. Right. I, I consider it having a good day. You know, I, I don't think the money part of it, whether you're making a lot, cause I used to call it minimum wage with, with some effort back in the day, you know, um, <laughs> sure. and there's some events, you know, you make better money on some that you don't, but, and some you shouldn't even go into because some people will put on an event And they don't really have any basis for sponsorship like i have that new west coast gravel event i think the initial flagging is like close to twelve hundred dollars to get people out of the venue i mean just because of the nature of the event so you know will i be able to cover those types of things what's the process for the events this year all that stuff's going to kind of happen but like speak to your um speak to your point chris you know the the thing i think that's been a biggest benefit about what happened in 2020 was it hopefully by my actions or by what I did, it allowed other people to possibly look at their events and to look at how they can do their events in a single serve fashion moving forward and provide that kind of mental and recreational um, outlet that we all need for our bikes? And, you know, I create events for racers that are racing at the front of the spear. I love that part, but I'm kind of a mid pack to back of the pack kind of guy. Um, in a way that I don't really have a bone. I've been competitive, like two or three years. Usually, it's in Clydesdale division, where I'll throw down for top, you know, top three maybe. <laughs> so, uh, I, I just like the game. I, I just think as an as a, a basketball player in my brain, I just like stuff that makes me tick, and I do it because one, I love being outside. Two, I love clearing trails. Three, I love people in general. I think people are awesome, and there's just so much opportunity out for there for people to be engaged and connected to, you know, health and wellness. And that's really where I see the value in what I did last year and what I'm continuing to do is just to be able to advocate for that because unless we take these people that have been moving around more through COVID and we connect people to other people, we're operating in just little silos. And I, and I find that to be the hardest challenge mm-hmm. right now is I'll have five or six different ways that I have to communicate to a participant, and it's it's insane right now how many different filters and boxes there are. And when I'm on my bike, all of that disappears—at least most of it, unless there's a Strava segment that comes up or something <laughs> stupid. <laughs> <laughs> or you know, you got how connected you are, or how you—we're choosing to be connected. But I've seen a, the thing that's fascinating right now is there's a lot of people that are choosing to be disconnected i'm having more times where people are saying take me off your communication list when it comes to some of my running events or i don't need to see any information i just want good information one time i'll show up i'll pay whatever i just want an experience just be succinct you know just try to just and i i don't know i just love it i mean i just love the challenge my brains works that way i guess i love the challenge of all this.
3: i love your communication Style. I mean, it before events, I I get you know two or three emails, and it says, "Watch the corner at mile twenty-two because if you're going too fast, you're gonna rail off this." I love reading that kind of stuff because (laughs) because sometimes I can't pre ride a course, and you're just going in blind. So I love that you do all that. Well,
0: and you know those things. Those things, Lance. Though it's kind of funny. I tell all these promoters because I. A lot of people ask me, they'll call me and they'll ask me for advice, whether it's a new event or it's just friends I know. We'll share information and that's cool. And I tell people, I go, your 72-hour email before the event, you have a chance for people to listen to you. Right. And you can, you have a chance to nail it during that time period. And then you only have up to 48 hours after to tweak whatever, do whatever, shift whatever and then literally hit reset, rewind, and move on. And I have 17 events, I think, which is pretty much stupid <laughs> on one hand. But, um, you know, they're like, some of them are like my children, and you don't wanna like off your children, you know, but some of them, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's like, it's funny. I, I love what I do, and uh, I guess I got, I think another about 15 years to do this thing, so why not, right?
2: Speaking of fifteen years, what what are we looking at for the future of mudslinger events? Do you have any goals or anything that's kind of in the horizon, or something that's kind of on your your grand wish list of things that you want to accomplish in that that time period?
0: Big question, Jake. Way to hit me with one. Yeah, life's, <laughs> this, life's <laughs> dreams. Um, I, I'll never ever outdo Brad Stripper Bus from Cross Crusades. So. Um, <laughs> I can never ever I'll do that one. I don't think my wife would let me. Let's see, what, shenanigans? Oh yeah, I'd love to be more shenanigan based. I have to hire more people to be shenanigan based. That's that's one thing. Um, now I I really want to put on a, the the Wembo World Championships of 24. I think that having a 24 hour World Championship for 24 hour solo would be killer. Um, I want to see where UCI Gravel takes us uh, because I do think you know. As a function of travel, tourism, and what it is, I'm. Mean, it's it's just a function. I, I I would love to be involved in something um, to that degree, especially for Oregon, because Oregon is very, it's very popular with people that recreate, but we don't really kind of like what Road World Championships and Kevin's trying to do. We don't really we don't really haven't really had huge events or something really big to hang our hat on, and so I'd like to be a part of something like that. Um, outside of directing marathon mountain bike nationals and, and having the high cascades, which is, you know, my, my, um, joy and I love it. And, and it, a very know, it's
3: well-respected event.
0: So, yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting because there's a lot of people that are starting to come into this area. Um, even like triathlon, like, um, Ironman, I've heard some rumor and some other, some other things that I'm not at um, liberty to discuss because I'm connected to many agencies that connect me to people <laughs> and then it never goes anywhere because those national groups are so busy, they, they never talk to you um, or to some degree. But now I don't know what's next. I mean, I think there's a lot of hybrid type stuff coming up. I feel like virtual is interesting, but my survey that we had like 600 people or 640 that responded, you know, people said virtual events were not really comparable to real world events and you know that spoke a lot to me as far as people's desire to see each other even with a mask even distanced it was cool as hell to see you you know everybody all you guys and anyone that chose to come to one of my events last year it was really cool
2: excellent what else got
3: lance you know um I was super pleased that you were able to pull off these events. I mean, I think I did three or four of your events um, this last year. And every one we did were time trial style, which I thought was a great pivot for you. And and it actually, and it's different than a mass start event. Um, I I will say, uh, I, I was a I me, I think me and Chris actually did four events together last year. And three of them were yours And I I beat him once. That's my claim to fame. Only once, though. (laughs) Just once. (laughs) Just once. But um, we also participated in a Belgian Waffle Ride gravel race, which was not time trial. It was like a 600-person mass start event. And from what I understand, there has not been one single case that was contact traced back to that event, even though contact tracing is not all that reliable in the U.S., but there were no cases that were taken back to that mass start event do you think you might be able to pull off mass start events this year
0: oh I mean if we're thinking about this from the standpoint that how effective you know at first you know don't wear a mask like Lane county and that was really because they didn't want everybody taking the n95 masks off the shelf right, right for the doctors and nurses right but I, and, and the numbers are probably way off, but I always go back to the first thing I heard back when COVID first starting that, you know, like the general cloth or the general mask is 16% better than, you know, and I'm sure the numbers are better than that. But it's more of a thing where, I mean, I have a friend Cimarron at um, uh, Grow, uh, Grow Races, she's doing True Grit March 6th and she has 750 people at her event. I'm um, coming up I've and got that on my radar. I just don't. I just don't think if, if it was such a prevalent disease outdoors, I think Bend, Oregon would have been on fire all last spring right. with like mass COVID. So, you know, outdoors, kind of like outdoor dining or outdoor anything. Or like when I drove by the mall yesterday, I got reassured that what I'm doing is reasonable and I, and I struggle with those things because I don't know why, but I'm always second guessing myself. Um, but I think that a mass start event, like, uh, especially when we get, uh, a lot more of the 65 plus crowd vaccinated, um, starting in March, whenever the supplies become, cause we're, once we get that crowd, that's technically dying, you know, that's all dying from this. Well, that's what vaccines are supposed to do. Right. That's how we move forward. So then I'm going to feel even better about, Hey, let's go for a bike ride and see, I, I don't think the wave start personally has to be me yaki you all standing next to each other for five minutes right i think that more like i need to get the the purge like a big recording of the of the sound of the purge and let you guys start <laughs> just going up this road at a random uh time where we just sound a uh, giant like uh beacon uh so going for a bike ride is not really i don't think it's going to be a transmissible or a thing that's too risky i'm sure you guys ride together other groups ride together um and so I'm not really worried about a, a, a mass start event right now. I'm not really ready for it. Yeah. But by the time we get another few months, as things keep on trending down, I'm going to look at it. But it has to be competitively fair. At the end of the day, that's the limiter on all this type of formats that TTs are competitively fair. And if you tell the fastest people to come earlier in the day and start, then technically, like at Stampede, where it was a one-second win, you know mossimo yeah. lost by one second sec. Right. and no and there's always these things that can happen um like we just got permission from the landowner at stampede to do a tt start um for this year so that's really exciting news last week um great excellent. so we'll be back in the venue again we won't have the horse lead out right now or we won't have the kids race because it draws a crowd but we're still going to do the long course and the short course which is killer um and I'm stoked about that. Yeah. So, nice. you know, it's um, yeah, I'll let you guys talk.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, we're here to we're we're here to hear you, Mike.
2: <laughs>
0: oh yeah, really? Yeah.
2: <laughs> awesome, Chris. Do you have any other questions?
0: No,
1: I, you know, Mike. One thing I love about your races is they have this really inclusive quality. You know, my first race was one of your events, uh, Oregon Grand Fondo, um, and it's cool that you know I can. Your races are inclusive, but at the same time, you can race at the pointy end if you want. Um, what can other promoters do to to replicate that? Because I mean, bike racing as a whole is feels like it's on the decline. You know, how can promoters help
0: that? That's a good question. Yeah, just to, I mean, I put on timed events, guys. I mean, that's literally it. Unless I'm putting on a road bike race, which I've done, that's a race. Now. Even the cat four fives Fives—that's a race, there's somebody that wants to win that thing. You know, yep, yeah. you're dying for it. So I, I get sure. it. It's just like step it's all kind of discipline related. So for me, I can put on a trail run and guess what? You go to the running store. Everybody that's buying shoes wants to go to a five K or a trail run. There's no barrier. But for some reason, the more that we make it about racing and the more we make it about upgrades and the more we make it about all that stuff, The less people are interested because then they fall by the wayside so you know sometimes you have to for safety like road you definitely categories are super crucial but for the most of this it's really about the structure and the inclusivity and the fun and reaching out to new groups and you know having less barriers to entry whatever that means for your particular organization um when it comes to cost or the way you get people in or how you do teams or make it interesting um all those things factor in, and it's all kind of a seven layer dip of cycling culture. And that's the way I like it because then it's, uh, you know, it has something for everybody. Not everybody likes um, cheese pizza only, you know? <laughs> so.
2: That's good. Um, yeah. So, with you, with the racing, let's just say COVID aside. Once past COVID and all that other stuff, what what's the ideal mm-hmm. number that you need for participation for you to, to live a happy and healthy life?
0: Yeah, at least 10,000 people, <laughs> at least, minimum. At least. At least. I mean, if I want to live like Lance, then, you know, maybe five 5,000 people, about six events a year. Uh, Chad Speary and I could probably talk about that. You know, we see Lance the Adventurer. I'm giving him a, a new label today, too <laughs> Mr. Adventure. So, I'm I can, tell, call Chris the beast Chris would be like the beast, man. That guy comes oh. on strong. I'm serious. Yeah, um, turbo diesel. It's, it's like it's so cool. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean the the kind of the number. I mean, obviously, everybody has their different parameter. I mean, a couple hundred people is nice. I mean, if you can make things work on a couple hundred people, you know, the the hardest part is you look at the discipline and you look at what it takes and you look if you're talking about road. Well, we don't really have the the ideal. Let's just say we don't have the ideal systems in place to predict a road outcome for what we're trying to get to. You know, because there's only so many peaks. Roadies are definitely are monitoring their peaks and what they want to participate in. Uh, the The amount I've seen this the the connection to the cost of entering a road race and keeping that the same as a cycle cross race I think was a very big. Um, limiter in road because road could have followed mountain bike a little more closer in cost or how much it costs to put on because it's not cheap putting on a road race at all. And so the expectations of the crowd, I think are a little bit off in, in some ways on that. Um, although very well intended and super passionate. Um, I just think that we need, if I, in a perfect world, I'd see four really quality one day road races in Oregon and then some stage races. Cause literally If Baker city doesn't work, then what else is there? We might as well continue to support those existing races that, um, that care and have an opportunity to um, build on what they have. You know, it's, it's like when the cat four, like roadwise, when the cat four crowd left, well, that'd be like saying the sport categories leaving in mountain biking or the cat two. Yeah. And that, that literally is something that unless you can have those, participants want to participate you got to create kind of a uh an opportunity for the person that wants to do uh the the bridge pedal or the person that wants to ride the worst day of the year ride or the monster cookie ride if you don't add that to your event as a road race whoa now that's that's an opportunity but you still have to get off your high throttle um you know attitude or whatever you're trying to present i mean you can do both but it takes a unique person to try to be that, you know, all that all inclusive event. And I
3: would think that that's, that's where the profitability would be. You don't you don't include oh, the masses, you aren't profitable, right?
0: No, totally. If you can't replace like I'm just talking road because literally after twenty some years of going to an Obra meeting in Portland or thinking, oh, we're gonna talk about mountain biking, you no, know, we're gonna talk about road racers that want more road events and we're gonna have we're gonna talk about when the cycle cross season is coming up. That's literally the discussion. <laughs> and so for me, it's like, OK, well, if we want to create an era where there is this, this push, we're taking some of these grassroots underground events um, that are happening all around us, and we're going to place them inside of an established road race or another event or a TT. And there's something else going on. It's called layering. If you, don't, if, you're, if you can layer your event, especially when you have a little weak participation, um, you know you, you can do pretty well. It's like half marathons are the bread and butter for running. If you're putting on a full marathon, you're going to get about three times as many people doing the half marathon as a full marathon. So you wouldn't exclude that crowd or a 5K versus 10K. Right. It's, it's, it's pretty simple. It's just you're putting on events for people that own bikes. And that's like, for me, I like building trails for people that own bikes. I like putting on events for people that own bikes. And everyone should do at least two disciplines. If they're they're a cyclist, that would be a beautiful thing also.
2: (laughs) So I would say, I mean, you put on a race, it's competitive. Competitive people generally find themselves yep. on teams. What can teams do to better support you and other promoters um, other than just showing up? I mean, that, that's the, the, the low-hanging fruit, the rhetorical part of, like, how we can help support promoters. But what can a team like Dial do for you and your organization to make you thrive even more?
0: I mean, the key thing. I mean, you guys created a unique beast, which is really cool. I mean, it's like you're you're open, you're open up for a lot of people. You, you support all these disciplines. You're really, you know, well rounded, and you guys are professional, and that's really cool. I think that the the challenge now is that teams teams really are they they have their calendar a lot of times laid out twelve months in advance. And if we're talking about a team, is that a road team? Is that a team that just only does one discipline? Is that a masters team? the word is kind of generic and and most people they like doing what they like to do at the end of the day i can't usually get people um i can try to up the frequency if i'm trying to ramble on too much the frequency is really if i have 12 cycling events and you guys are coming like lance you're hitting three um you're hitting two jake and you know some other people it's for me it's just looking at the frequency of things and that Okay, if they're coming to the Oregon Coast Gravel Epic on the 1st of May, are they going to do the double the next day at West Coast Gravel? Now it's like 50% of the people are doing the double. So now I have to figure out, okay, do I not have the right distance for certain people? Am I not marketing right? But teams, what I want to hear from teams is... What do they expect at the end of the year? What's rewarding for teams? I mean, obviously being rewarded accomplishment-wise, whether you guys win the bar or if this point structure needs changing to support smaller teams, it's really what's the – the team is what you make of it, I guess, to say. And I don't know really what I can do for teams often, other than the fact if I'm tracking teams and scoring them, is there a unique and interesting thing besides – I'm um, rewarding age groups, which I'm now doing through a Champions Cup uh, from Mudslinger events. So I'm scoring all my events and it's on the results tab. So everybody, every one of my events is pushed into five year age groups. And that way I'm just trying to reward the best overall riders at, that are coming to mind in multiple disciplines. And so I just, you know, for me, I'm just trying to keep, keep the event you know, towards satisfying the local community and satisfying the new rider, as well as keeping the people that have been riding and racing for 20 years engaged in the sport. So, I don't know, it's a big long-winded answer. You probably didn't hit your own <laughs> your question, state. but I, I don't, like at the end of the day, you know, teams, I could look at the list of teams that are on the OBRA site and a lot of people don't travel out of the Portland area except for once a year or a few times a year. So you're kind of, you know, they kind of know what's going on. So if somebody wants a certain event, um, we have a lot going on in Oregon. I think we're almost like coffee and beer. We're spoiled to a certain degree in some ways that there's so much going on. And what I would what I'd want to challenge everybody to do is go find an event in Utah or go find an event in California. Go go to Washington and go try something out. Not to say we don't want to support Obra because we definitely do. But there's so much other people and communities and things. You can take your Oregon love and go outside the state one time. Because I have I love going to ride out of state. It's so fun. Um, it's a blast meeting new people.
3: You know, uh, last year I was able to go to Utah to do some cyclocross races because it was one of the few places. Mm. It was the only place in the whole West Coast where they were doing cyclocross races. And man, I kind of fell in love with the community. It certainly is not as big as it is in Oregon and Washington, but uh, and and they, the race promoters, more than once came up to me after the race and they're like, Lance, tell us h- how do our races compare to the races? And I know you do, you know, Cross Crusade races. I know how how do our races compare? And they were honestly asking my opinion, which I thought was kind of cool. But it was neat to see. You know, or be a part of another community and see how they put on races and what they did and what their courses were like.
2: Absolutely. Well, to go back to what Mike was saying about like, what, what do teams want? I mean, I think at the, the end of the day, teams are competitive because they're full of a bunch of competitors and to pit the teams against each other in a fun, lighthearted, you know, competitive manner is going to drive competition. Driving competition is going to drive more race entries because you're not going to get points or you're not going to have the ability to compete against the other people unless you're racing. Right. And we as a team have always challenged the people on our team to do their absolute best and get to as many races as they possibly can, which is why, mm-hmm. you know, the, well, I guess last year doesn't count, but the two years prior to that, we won the best all-around team competition through Oregon Bicycle Racing Association, and it was a message that that took so well with our team that it actually blew my mind. I mean, we had more points in first place than second, third, fourth, and fifth combined. And that's because we showed up when we went to the races. Yeah, because we, had,
3: we had people at almost every single race. Yeah, and
2: our goal, whenever there was a competition within a race, whether it be Cross Crusade, Portland Short Track, the Oregon Best All-Around uh, Rider competition for teams, whatever it was, we showed up and we showed up in numbers because we were competitive and we wanted to win. Yeah. And guess what? We won all of them. <laughs> we won all of them. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think at the end of the day, having some sort of a competition in there and actually making it worth something, you've got to champion it. You've got to... You've got to put it out there, and you got to make a little bit of a spectacle about it. And not to, to belittle OBRA, but they really don't do much with respect to the team bar competition. It's kind of like buried five or six clicks deep in the website. Yeah. It's a, a little blip, a little mention at the end of the year at the OBRA you know, um, year-end award ceremony, and that's about it. They're, and so the teams that know about it will definitely be checking it, and will make a little bit of a stink about it. But you have to celebrate that. Just like you have to celebrate everybody that's out there. It doesn't matter if you're a Cat 1 or a Cat 5, you know, brand new person. Celebrate everybody that's showing up to the races and 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 let them know, hey, good job. We know how much work went into that. That's not easy. You went out there and and trained yourself. You suffered and you did well. We got to celebrate that. Yeah. And that's that's kind of a, a vibe that we have with our team. I would love to see more of that from race promoters. Not like, oh, uh, you know, someone got upset about something, so we're not doing any more, you know, podium events (laughs) or something like that it's like you're going the wrong direction it's like so what if somebody's pissed off about something that that's fine you're not going to ever make everybody happy you know that's an anomaly push that aside because i can tell you one thing there's probably about 20 other people that want to see that and want that and what's what's more like sad trombone than like i just worked my butt off and i won a race and it's like Nothing. It's like go home. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks. Great job. Go home. Here's a pat on the back. You know, it's like I just worked really hard for that, and that could be somebody's like shiny moment. I know that there's people on our team that they won a race, and it was the first time they've ever won a race, and there's there's nothing, yeah. zero. That well, sucks.
0: Well, you'll see. You'll you'll see something at the gravel epic this year. That'll. It's the first time I've ever done this uh, for somebody. So I kind of it's for for somebody that's a that won this last year's race so you'll you'll find out what i'm talking excellent. about excellent the gravel epic, <laughs> i you know? love it i love so, it yeah yeah no and also i oh, just to let you know too just celebrate excellence though i think it's it's celebrating excellence and that's that's kind of like we're getting so caught up in word usage like if you said oh he's the champion whoa you know champion, <laughs> whoa, you know <laughs> i'm like all right yeah, okay um that's cool but no I, I you know i do think though that there's room like done this it's just it's no different than doing like when you're doing a team time trial and the third third guy or third guy across the across the line you know your team time is based upon that that rider um you do something where it was the two the two fastest times you know for men and women on the long course because if you literally just boil it down to that simplicity and you only have to have two teammates show up shut up that's it. <laughs> I mean, literally, if you, if you have two people from s come to Mudslinger and you have two people, the two fastest people from Dialed, I don't know. Myers will throw down. Yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, that's a, that's a, good, that's a good competition. Uh, so, you know, without making it strictly about numbers, because every time that we've had a team awarded the cross country series, Pistis won it. They were a group from Southern Oregon and they were, um, that was their church and they had like 40 people on there. And then we made it about equal points for juniors and Bend Endurance Academy won the thing because it was equal points and juniors would show up. And so we've always been challenged on that. And so I think per event for myself, I would love to be able to have a best team award because I I create a lot of custom awards, especially when we are in person, where it's like a custom plaque and it has a picture of a, you know, a, really cool, um, shot with best team or best overall or something that somebody would want because they worked really hard for it. And it's usually only reserved for those, those top, you know, top person in the long course. But I do think just scoring the time on the top two riders per event, and at least recognizing that on social and making a big deal of it would be cool. I could easily do that. Yeah. Um, that wouldn't be hard last year aside. You know, we ended up making a little bit more of a big deal after the event because, you know it's cool and you reach more people and i still think that's going to be part of my process this year is more social um you know without drinking during during instagram you know that's kind of a little thing but, uh, that was you fun. know gotta watch that but uh you know it's uh all those things are interesting i think it's really i don't think it's a you guys have created a unique thing that only really back in the day, web cycle probably had a team as big as you guys um you know back 15 years ago or so 10. Um, maybe Pistis uh, as far as community based Southern Oregon they were huge they like 30 people I bet or more uh, but I, that's what I like you guys do multiple disciplines it's not like I'm preaching to somebody which is great if we have, if there's a singular focused masters road team out there I love it because if you guys are going to nail it at one big stage race this year that's super cool but a lot of people don't don't have room for more people and the shops are not as engaged with teams Um, as they used to be, you know, it used to be more of a, kind of a shop need, or they would have somebody that was championing it. And, you know, right now, I mean, shops are in a weird position because they're just trying to find parts and bikes for people. It's crazy. So, you know, it's just. I think it's, I think we keep this, like if we keep the team and we keep this, all this stuff, it's all part of that seven layer dip, but we can't ignore it. To your point, Jake, we can't like put it into its corner. And it needs to be a part of the function, and I can easily do that because I'm a one-man wrecking ball, you know. And, and I have my family. That's you know, they're getting older. My daughters are 22, uh, 19, and 17. So I'm losing all my help quickly. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, so you know, things are um, there's definitely going to be new ways. I mean, we um we we're trying to try to hire two more two or three more people this year on our staff and. Just be more functional, um, overall, uh, and try to look at our integrations. Our integrations are probably our biggest wins moving forward as how we use technology and gotcha. try to push them easy buttons gotcha. on some things.
2: Cool, Mike, do you want to tell us about your sponsors and maybe give them a little plug and then also second to that would be, um, what does it take to become a sponsor of a Mudslinger event?
0: Uh, well basically, you know, um. Sponsoring me is just as easy as emailing me and we have sponsorship levels and depending on what event you want to get involved with. But, you know, our current sponsors, they all of them stayed on, which was really cool about last year. Um, Some of them, we really couldn't promote a lot. And I kind of knew that. But, you know, the biggest thanks would be to go out to uh, my beer sponsors and Ten Barrel Brewing and Three Creeks over in Sisters Brewing. Uh, Hammer Nutrition was huge, along with Bob's Red Mill um, out of Portland. Those guys were, you know single serve is the way to go. So without those two sponsors, I would have been, um, it'd been a lot tougher to put on the events. And so uh, we also have Rolf Prima and commotion cycles, uh, Land Speeds Fix is our bike shop in Eugene that wrenched at every one of the Triple Crown events last year during COVID. Oh and that says a lot to provide that mechanical support um, during this kind of, you know, timeframe. So, you know, Rolf Freeman, Astral Cycling—they're big, good friends in Eugene, and you know we have a lot of other sponsors. That you know, Takelma Roasting. Um, my, my relationship with Seven Feathers Casino is pretty cool. At the Takelma Gravel Grinder, uh, we did the we did the event year one, and we couldn't do it at the end of June last year, and then we got burned out with the fires. But riding through a casino is pretty darn cool um, to start an event. So I'm looking forward to getting that checked off my list here year and put this event on. Gotcha. So, so many things to do guys. So many things. <laughs> so if somebody wanted to become a
2: sponsor, if somebody wanted to become a sponsor, where would they go to get more information?
0: Oh, just go to mudslinger events. There's a sponsor tab. I got so many ways to connect to me. It's ridiculous. Cool. So
2: awesome. What else, what else you got there, Lance?
3: I, I'm curious as to really what your, your biggest hurdles are in race promotion. What, What makes it difficult? Is it the permit process? Is it dealing with county and city governments? Is it trying to get enough people to sign up for races? What do you find is your your biggest hurdles?
0: Well, I mean, running's not as much of a hurdle. People will sign up right away. They they don't have a problem. Like a DK might cost 150 bucks, and they'll just boom, they're there. Okay, no big deal. Now they don't have the equipment. You know, they don't have to pay for the equipment like they do. But they're just they're really easy to get signed up. Um, cyclist, I think I, maybe I figured it out this year. I don't know. I changed my policy, um, or my process for cycling now to where if you sign up for any one of our events, you within 10, 10 days before, so if it's 10 days before that event or more, you can opt out and use your, use your entry fee towards any one of our current year events. Okay. So if something comes up, if you sign up now for anything. And it's ten days out, and you say, "Hey, Mike, I can't come." Um, we can push that to any one of our other events, and you can get it to somebody else too. I mean, I'm like a reservation specialist, <laughs> so uh, it's it's it's. Sometimes it's legit. It'll be logistically a little bit um, insane when you're doing back to back to back events. But the the biggest thing, it's it, I think the toughest thing is just to get the and one or the people that are cycling because we're still like eighty percent guys, you know, like 75 percent, you know, white dude. So when we're planning things, there has to be something for somebody else to go hang out and do. So I'm trying to create things more around the weekends, activities for families, because this synergy that we have with Nika, with Obra, and with Dialed and the teams and all this stuff, it's beautiful. It really is. We just have to be able to um, continue to express how to be successful in all this and then we'll all win um we'll all somebody will finish last but who cares as long as you're dead last <laughs> but if you that sucks you know dnfing sucks if you finish it's good you <laughs> know
3: i i have another question that kind of comes off of that how do you pick your dates because a couple there's you have a couple races that conflict with some of chad sperry's races and i am in like major personal dilemma as to what to do
0: really really well you know I told Chad I told Chad when he was gonna. He was gonna put his dates on that weekend. I told him I was gonna come over and find him in Redmond, <laughs> throw him in his pool, and <laughs> drown him. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, literally, Chad. We we talk all the time. Literally, like I talk to all like a lot of the promoters in the state. Even when they're doing relays and they're doing all the other stuff. Yeah. Um. Like Easter kind of Easter kind of threw Chad into a cascade of one week forward this year. And being that he was already f- filled up with people. Yeah. Um, no big. I mean, like he'll probably go back to the last weekend of April next year. Um, you know, and, and that that part there's so many people that live in Oregon. There's plenty of it's you know, it's not a it's not that big of an issue. I mean, Bend people generally love to race in their backyard, just like Portland people like to race in their backyard. Right. So I kind of know I'll draw less from the Bend area if we're on the same weekend, or even a week apart. Even a week apart it's hard for people to duplicate two sixty mile efforts or two big efforts Mm. so you guys can (laughs) but the majority of people will do one event a month um from the crowd of people the wider cycling community if we look at how many members or how many people go to obra events and how many people in this greater pacific northwest region are cyclists oh my gosh yeah that's huge to draw into the crowd so um I don't know what you're going to do, Lance. You're screwed. Bro. I am screwed. You are screwed. <laughs> You are. So, I mean. Do they start um, at the same time? We, I stick, to, just do so you guys overlap. know, I mean, as yeah. far as the, the weekends, though, I stick to my weekend. So, if I'm the first weekend, second weekend, third weekend, that's really easy. The difficulty comes into it is if so, somebody starts a new event on the fifth weekend of the month, oh, their brain can't think. Cause right. next, week, next year, it's the fourth weekend, and now they're on top of somebody. So, that's the biggest thing where people have to look at scheduling: is if they start a new event and they start it on a month or a year where there's five weekends in the month, don't do it. (laughs) it. Don't look at that. Pro tip: don't look at. That's a pro tip.
2: Gotcha, Um, Mike. What do you think we're missing in the racing here in the Pacific Northwest? Where are we coming up short? What are we screwing? Uh, whether it be from a team, whether it be from individuals, whether it be from race organizations, what are we missing?
0: Well, uh, you can say you're missing. You can always you can always find things that you're missing. I, I just think that we. I, I look at it. It's kind of like guess go up to my faith. You have to look at your blessings. Okay. <laughs> you know. I don't think we're missing. I don't think we're missing anything. Well, I, me, I mean, I think we're just. Yeah.
2: Let me get a little bit more specific, and I'm going to ask you okay. a question about OBRA, the Oregon Bicycle Racing <laughs> Association. Sure. Um, membership, you know, in its heyday, what, about seven or eight years ago, nine years ago, something like that, they were at 6,500 people. Um, go back to 20, 20, I think we're in the 6,000 ranges. This is like, we'll say 10 years ago. We go to 2017, I think we're at 3,600. and We go to 2018, we're about 2,800. We go a year beyond that in 2019, and then we're down to like twenty-five or 2,400. Long story short, numbers are really declining. And then you get the big old, you know, slap upside the head with COVID, and I'm sure that they really lost a lot of people there. And I'm sure people will bounce back in 2021. Yeah. Right. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Um, what can we do to attract more people to get back out on their bikes? There's been a full-on renaissance of bike riding. There's, you know, there's a massive shortage of bike. There's tons of people out there riding bikes when it's not covered by snow. Um, what can we do to attract these people? What can we do to make bike racing more appealing to get numbers back up? Is it something that we as a community need to rally around? Is it something that the organizations themselves need to do to attract people to come buy memberships to, you know, get back into bike racing? What are we missing here? What's the, what's the big disconnect?
0: Um, I mean, it's kind of, there's, there's a bunch of things. I mean, I know it got up to about 5,000 people. I mean, that's where I remember it, but you know, it's really just providing, I mean, the value in the annual membership, you know, like with Obra is the fact, if you race a lot, you want to buy one day licenses all the time. I mean, really that's what they've hung their hat on, you know, for a number of years yeah. just saying but it's better than buying one day licenses. And that's really, um, maybe not the, the way an organization, you know, could operate in my opinion. I mean, if you look at, there's a group that I look at that I kind of for trail running that I use for insurance and cause Obra is a layer of insurance for me and they're really cool to work with. Um, but at the same time, like I work with the American Trail Running Association and they're a resource and you can get insurance like my annual policy that goes under 500 bucks, you know, to insure with uh, American Trail Running Association. Now it's different. Trail running is a lot different than 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 cycling. I mean, to the point where I can get virtual race insurance with uh, American Trail Running Association, no product is available in the U.S. for virtual cycling or any kind of a competitive um uh, specific course. There's no such insurance out there, so um, we're we're in a higher risk category when it comes to cycling. So, I mean, the organization, just like I guess other membership organizations like IMBA or a Costco membership, <laughs> or its purchasing power. People want to be part of a part of something that provides them opportunity to connect to other people, and I think Oprah's doing a good job with that. As far as they have some basic things that are in play, but how you grow from that without diluting what you already have and not add expense, that's like every business or every nonprofit because they operate similarly um, in a lot of ways. So, I mean, I do think over talking to Chuck, over memberships up, um, which was really positive here last week. So uh, it'll be interesting to see like what the first quarter numbers are on membership uh, and how this People riding bikes equates to more people coming to events. Um, I know I, I was referencing, I was talking to Chuck. I said, you know, there's a new mountain bike race, I think, in April. My friend Andrew's involved and, and some other good people. But I told Chuck, let's not add any new events this year um, if we can, because we have to be able to build capacity to handle new events. And I'm, I'm speaking right now as the Obra mountain bike rep or this thing, that this title or this job that I have for Obra. Um, But I'm Mudslinger Events, so I'm a company and a business, and I utilize Obra for, you know, what their marketing can help me reach some people, and they have solid insurance that I utilize for my events, and the more people I can coax out of Portland, the better or bend, because those are our two biggest hub, and I don't have an event in Portland, so a lot of people in that area, they won't really know me um, unless, you know, they take a trip and spend probably more money than maybe their um, cycling budget allows, so to speak. So I think those are the biggest challenges, Jake, is that we, I used to um, not mockingly, but I used to call it the Portland racing association because <laughs> you know, it's, it's the PRA and it was something in Southern Oregon. Cause I put on races down there and they were always struggling. And, and it's funny because even in Eugene, when we had a cross race, And somebody go, oh, we want to be like cross crusade. We only got a hundred people. I'm like, you have one flipping 10th of the population or more. You should be stoked with a hundred people. That's what you should get. I mean, that's literally the truth. And people don't like hearing the truth. A lot of times it's hard to stomach. So I think that all the systems that currently are in place or all the promoters that we have in place. We just need to see what normal is this year. And then look at what, uh, you know, look at what can be done if people have the bandwidth, because it, go- it goes from everything. I know that for me, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to get anyone to work for me on a weekend in Bend, Oregon, For if I talk to any of my friends that I know that are relatively successful. I mean, I don't think they, they do it because they want to do it. They wouldn't do it for money. But I mean, I couldn't offer them 40 bucks an hour and they wouldn't come. And so how are we supposed to, as an organization, survive? I mean, if I'm saying we as like being part of OBRA, when, you know, maybe an official might make $100 plus mileage on a weekend to give up their weekend. And that's a lot to ask. And so I just think some of the structures are just a bit antiquated um, and just need to be reimagined in a lot of ways. And it's nothing... That's not, that's like every organization has to be looked at. All the people on the board are awesome and they all mean well and Chuck means well and everybody, but literally just kind of taking it baby step by baby step and just looking at, okay, we could look at this in a different way, possibly. And just, you know, um, having, you know, I'd love to see more of the meeting minutes and the budgets put online and more of the stuff that's going on behind the scenes. I would love to see that at OBRA, you know? To see what's going on, I, I would, I would love to see how the committees are doing and all those kinds of things. If I could provide any kind of, you know, contribution, great. Um, but right with COVID, it kind of puts a wet blanket on a lot of that stuff. But it's really comes down to process, I think, and establishing a goal. Like hell or high water, our goal is to get to four thousand members by the end of 2022. That seems like that could be reasonable, yeah. right? Yeah. So establish a goal. Reach out to the bike shops. You know, I, I thought I had a way that I couldn't, I couldn't pull it off. It's not like I said, I'm one man. But um, I would say that on every bike, boy, Obra could put like, you remember the pizza door hangers, you know? Right. But if they get a bike, if they buy a bike, they get a free Obra membership, you know?
2: Right you go. I mean, it's right. a little not bit a bad of idea. money. I
0: mean, you, you as a business owner would kick in money, you know, for that or something like that. Maybe it would be on the sponsor card or something like that. Maybe not at a bike shop, obviously, but. I would. I would throw money on that. Yeah, But I think just getting people getting people the opportunity to become OBRA members may, in fact, mean just being more of a fundraising organization and less of a we're depending on everybody to keep on paying their annual dues. Because I think that's personally to me, I've, I've ran Team Dirt, the nonprofit. and I've been involved with a lot of nonprofits. The most successful nonprofits are fundraising organizations. Um, if they're Costco, be like Costco. If they're a fundraising organization, continue what they did with their Costelli promotion um, last year with jerseys. Look at ways to be nuanced, get good equipment, do all those kind of things. But I mean, I think they'll, they'll figure it out, you know, I mean, I think one way or another, you know, that's, the, that's the hope at least.
2: One can hope for sure. Um, we've got a question yep. coming in from the uh, the YouTubes here. Mama Dove 76 would like to know what your position is on how Ironman handled the pandemic. Do you have, I
0: do not know enough about how they handled the pandemic to make a comment. <laughs> they uh, sucked. That's all yeah, you
2: need to just know. They did not do this well. well they, just
0: can, or they just cancel everything, no yeah. money back. No Correct. Everything. And really?
2: they, they did it in the 11th yeah. hour when people had already traveled to the events. They're like, Oh, by the way, we're canceling on you. So yeah. if, if Matt and Evan were here, I'm sure that they would be more than happy to enlighten you on this. <laughs> awesome. Well,
0: yeah, that's been a, that, I mean, you're right. That, those things are impossible. I, I know that, to a point. I mean, we did a went for the events that we held last year. Normally like if like if Lance, you sign up and you don't show, and you know, I'm not giving you anything after the event. Yeah. I mean, not hardly anyone ever would expect it. <laughs> yep. But with COVID, yeah. with COVID, yeah, you know, COVID's a little bit different. So um that's it's interesting though, but like our policy now, there there's been some people nationally, um, not during COVID, but it's happened where let's say for example, your permit gets pulled maybe a road washes out. Now, hopefully you can reschedule the event, but some of these things that have happened across the nation, I mean, I, my insurance didn't cover pandemics. It was excluded for the events that we had insurance on. So it was, but we are doing what we can and we're trying to spread that load over a couple of years and see what we can uh, come out with. You know, so gotcha.
2: Lance, have any other
3: questions? Uh, I could tell my favorite Mike Ripley story. Go for it. (laughs)
0: Oh, God. It's horrible. (laughs) Do you want to hear this?
3: So, this was probably five or six years ago. I did the Oregon Grand Fondo for the first time, and it's a 117 mile road race um, that uh, goes over some rough roads. It was a hot day. It was June. It's a 117 mile course. I think I was like 105 miles in, and it got so hot that my front wheel blew. My tire blew with like like 12 miles to go. Oh, no, It blew. I was doing like 25 miles an hour. So I yard sailed all over the road and like scraped all this <laughs> stuff up. And I'm like, okay, great. My race is done. So I sat on the side of the road while somebody came up and said, Hey, we'll contact the race guys so that they can come pick you up. And I'm like, super, just get me back to my truck. So I sat there for about 20 minutes and finally got sick and tired of sitting there. So I just jumped on my bike <laughs> and I rode to the finish line on my flat, on my rim, on my front rim. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm riding up this hill. There's like one short little hill before you roll back into Cottage Grove, I think is where it finished. I think that's where it finishes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, right. I'm, <laughs> I'm riding up this hill and Mike Ripley drives up next to me in his truck. Cause he's like, I think he got word some idiot blew out his front tire and he needs to be picked up. So Mike was coming to pick me up and he rolls up next to him and he's like, hey, you uh, want to get in the truck? And I'm like, rat, 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 rat. I'm like <laughs> "F no, I'm not. I'm finishing this dumb race now that I'm already ruling in. And Mike's like, all right, dude, that's just what I would do. All right. We'll see you at the finish line. And so. He rolled off. Off he went. Yeah. So I was like, okay, not only did Mike find out where, okay, he goes to the spot where I'm supposed to be sitting by the road. I'm not there. And he just drove out to find me. He's in the middle of putting on this whole race and he drove out to find me who was the idiot who crashed his bike. So that's my, that's my favorite Mike Griffey story. You probably don't even remember that. That was a long time ago. I wasn't a dial member back then.
0: No, I remember. I remember abandoning a lot of people that were like <laughs> determined to finish. So yeah, that was me. You know, or, <laughs> or people that refuse to come off the course when they're delirious, you know, things like that. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of crazy stuff out there that happens. Gotcha. So
2: how about we flip this, mic? No, Do you have any, That's we, awesome. Let's flip this, Mike. Do you have any questions for us?
0: No. What are you? Well, what are your guys' um, team goals? I mean, given the uncertainty, are you guys going to be focused on just. Partic- like being general participants in everything you can, same old thing. Or are you guys win everything event that's on the horizon, and <laughs> <laughs> it I all. Mean, but is there a big dialed <laughs> event, like a, one singular thing that you guys want to just crush?
2: Gosh, like a race on the schedule, huh? I know that a lot of the guys like are-
0: where everyone shows up, like you just swarm like bees. Like everyone's <laughs> like, "What the hell?"
3: Well, the the team competition at Cross Crusade tends to be important to us. And so I guess that's one event where we really kind of show up
2: big. Same with the uh, short track, the short track racing. The, the short track definitely PR is another one. Um, I know that the Baker City Classic is another really important event to a lot of our, our roadies on the team, so they're they're pretty keen on that. Um, I think though, on on the whole, I don't know if this is just me speaking um, selfishly because it's really what I'm keen on. It's I want to build like a, a premier, like known across the land, juniors program. I want to be the reason why more kids get into bike racing, because that's how we become sustainable for the future. You got to plant those seeds now. And I think that we've got so many kids out there, like the best cyclists in the world. And I've always said this, the best cyclists in the world don't even race their bike right now. They're they're playing another sport. They just don't know that they're the best cyclists in the world. So I want to let these kids know like, Hey, there's more to life than baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. I mean, those are great sports. Don't get me wrong, but there's this other thing called bike racing that you can do for the rest of your life. So I want to get kids involved in that. I want to show them the different disciplines. I want to get them excited about getting on their bike and racing and doing it for a lot of years because they can start at 9, 10 years old, and we've got people on our team now that are 70 racing their bike at 70 years old jay hamlin's out there still crushing crits at 70 years old and it's like hey look at this guy he's still doing this at 70 years old and you know there's a lot of people that don't come into the sport and know that they're good at it until they're in their mid-30s to early 40s chris rat um (laughs) (laughs) so i just i want to get more people on bikes and and i'm really keen on getting more juniors out there and i want to take them to all these different events and have us show up and do a really good job with that and that's that's important
0: to me I think that's a beautiful thing. I mean, I, I, yeah, I think juniors, that was the biggest success of 2020 though, was junior racing. Um, watching the evolution. I mean, watching how fast Ian's Ian got and seeing like Paige Edwards and seeing all these different juniors that are just, you know, just becoming like super well-rounded, um, super cool people and they've always been cool, but they're coming out of their shell and they're, they're, Competing for top spots, so that's um really really exciting. I've seen a lot of juniors in my day, and uh you know, i could gonna go down. I think I'm gonna beat Jacob Rathy down at Shasta Growful. Hugger, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that that, that I could, some. I could, you know, try to. Cr- when he was when he was 10 years old, I could work him. <laughs> I could work that kid when he was going to mudslinger. That kid had nothing on me, nothing. <clears throat> Uh, love it, that's guys. just like i i my one of my favorite one of my favorite um jokes is i i give serena um gordon a bad time because i beat her at echo one year <laughs> so forever, <laughs> forever forever i can crush serena that's right that. it, you know? yeah. so anyway
2: awesome all right guys any other questions anyone not me no no all right let's move into one it, mike We're going to jump into one last thing, Mike. This is where you get to say anything on your mind. It could be about anything. Um, I'm going to start with Lance, though, so I'm going to give uh, Mike and and Chris a chance to come up with their one last things. Go for it.
3: My one last thing, I want everybody to go to Mike Ripley's website, mudslingerevents.com, and look at his events and sign up for one this year. Some of my favorite events are on his calendar, the Mudslinger, the Oregon Coast Gravel Epic, the Sister Stampede, the Oregon Grand Fondo. Uh there there are great events on his schedule you need to participate in one.
2: Absolutely. That's a good plug. I love that. Cool. Mr. Surratt, one last thing, Bob.
1: So I just got an email from uh Unbound Gravel oh, and yeah. I've got some interesting plans for June. So uh formerly the Dirty Kansas two hundred, I'll be racing. So. Yeah, hey,
2: congratulations. So you literally yeah, just got that? L- he well, like last week.
1: Uh, week ago, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> So what's the uh, date on that? Just some requests for uh June fifth? Okay. So got some big ten hour training rides coming up if you guys need something to do.
2: Ooh. Oh yeah, that that sounds fantastic. I might come Sound join awesome. you for four or five of that. <laughs> awesome. Right, right on. Mike, one last thing.
0: Oh man, one last thing. I mean, we're we're doing pretty well this year so far. I just wanna let everybody know that. Um We're trying to fill up 200 spots before we feel like we can take any more. And it's really gonna be um, just wait and see on a lot of the format, but the stokes really high. People are really interested in racing. So the one thing I guess is just to, like I said, if you check out my schedule and configure a time to get together with your family and take a little trip or with your friends, um, invite somebody new on a ride um, that you are not, a custom or to riding with that's my one big thing is if everyone looks outside their bubble and invites somebody on a ride especially whatever you can do with COVID or how people feel comfortable if you can make that happen in 21 um the world will be a much better place yeah
2: absolutely absolutely um my one last thing is i just wanted to give a big heartfelt thank you to uh mike for coming on the podcast with us today i've been kind of looking forward to this and yet i've been going back and forth And that's thing number one, because I always have multiple one last things, right? Because I get to do multiples. (laughs) (laughs) My other one last thing is I wanted to also give another big thank you to Matt LeGrand. He's not here with us today, but he did a, a little YouTube video, and he posted that up on the YouTubes yesterday, and he spotlighted... Um, 10 small YouTube channels that he thinks that people should um, check out. With, without even asking us or telling us or letting us know that that was really what we, he was going to be doing, um, he he put us in there, Lance. And he, he plugged w- us. He plugged us, and we've had a bunch of new subscribers, which is fantastic. Thank so, you, Matt. Yeah, big thanks, Matt. Go nice. check out Matt's uh, video at youtube.com forward slash Matt Legrand. Or no, M. Legrand, because the Matt Legrand will take you to the pop star. <laughs> so, <laughs> you can check out that, too, if you want. <laughs>
3: um, if you want to check out that Dancing Down's, shirtless on the beach, that's my Dig. That's what I'm up so about. So, yeah. Im LeGrand
2: needs to have Lance Romance yeah. come on there. To Lance kind of Romance needs spice a, up his channel a little bit. He needs a, he needs some mustaches <laughs> on that thing. <laughs> uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not watching it on the YouTube's, you can go check it out afterwards if you want to kind of see the whole interview with uh, Mike Ripley. You can go to um, YouTube YouTube forward slash dialed Cycling, and that's where our YouTube channel is, and we post all kinds of little fun videos on there. And got a few more in the hopper that we're working on. It's been just so time-consuming to get those things done with everything else going on, but um, we're making it happen. We'll have a few more coming up. I've got one that's just about done. It it should be up maybe today, (laughs) possibly tomorrow. (laughs) By the time this comes out, people should be able to watch it. Let's hope so. All right. Anyway, I think that's about it, folks. Um, Again, appreciate everybody coming on, Chris and Mike and Lance for coming in. You guys are awesome. We will uh, awesome to be, here, we'll be back doing this again next yeah, week. Great to see you guys. Yeah. Yep. Mike, maybe we can have you again uh, in the, the future. I would love to circle back with you, maybe a, a recap of 2021 yep. to see how everything went. And if there's ever anything that you need, sir, don't hesitate to ask us for some help, um, whether it be me, myself and Lance, or um, Dialed Cycling Lab here, or even the Dialed Cycling team, whatever we can do to help support you now. We want to continue to push people like yourself forward because you know, without you, there wouldn't be mountain bike racing in the Pacific North, well, in the Portland area, the yep. Oregon area. We need that. We need more of that. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Thanks for watching. Yep. We will see you all next week. Bye for now.